and welcome to the Thinking Not Podcast. I'm Cap, and I am joined in the studio by my good friend, Charles. Were you ever a fan of the Beatles, Charlie? No. No? Why not? It's too long to go into it. Okay. All right. <laughs> I, you know, for some reason, I thought that might be up your alley. But, um, oh, you know, no. recently, no, no, he says no. Recently, the Sunday Times crossword had the clue, the only Beatles song with an exclamation point. You have any ideas what the answer might be for that? No. No. Turns out it was Help. Oh. Their only song with an exclamation point. So it just so happens that Help is our topic today in a roundabout sort of way. So not to bring you down, but <laughs> but you know me. <laughs> <laughs> As we uh, get through the 4th of July weekend, we had several more mass shootings in this country, including the one at Highland Park Parade. And it was interesting. I uh, saw, I was watching some coverage, not much, but I watched a little bit of coverage. And they were talking to one of the survivors whose husband was a doctor and had helped care for some of these people after the events of what happened there. And this lady said, in a very soulful voice, nowhere is safe in the country anymore. You can't go to a parade. You can't go to the store. You can't go to a movie, even school, for God's sake. You have to be mindful of bullets flying. And that broke my heart a little bit, but it also made me aware that there are a lot of people that are feeling some of that same sense. And just to pile on top of that, an unarmed black man was shot 60 times by police. Women's rights are being taken away from them. Same-sex spouses are worried that their rights will be targeted next. We had a president who fomented an insurrection. Coming out of a perpetual pandemic, prices for everything are ridiculous. Air travel now operates on island time. Mother Earth is trying to burn us alive when she isn't trying to drown us. It's enough to make someone feel like singing, help me if you can, I'm feeling down. So today's topic is that feeling of helplessness and what we can do about it. So Charlie, I'm going to share a little bit of research and some ideas that I have on how people might begin to find their way out of this wet paper bag that is helplessness. So I just have one question for you. Can you please, please help me? <laughs> this was an interesting introduction, Cap. <laughs> All right, Charlie's in tune, and I'm ready to let it be, let it be. So let's grab a cup of coffee and chat. The Thinking Knot is a podcast developed to help those who are trying to become better, a little bit better today than yesterday. It is an honest dialogue about the real-life challenges we each encounter as intention meets obstacle in the course of an every day. In our conversation, we weigh rational thought against our gut feeling of what is right, and we forge a path together using what is in our hearts, if we can all just awaken and get into rhythm with that beat. Thanks for joining today's discussion.
Charlie, when I told you that today's topic was going to be helplessness, you asked me a question that I've actually come to expect from you. You asked me if helplessness really exists, which is an interesting question, but I would say that it exists in the same way that depression or anxiety or even grief exists. It isn't a physical ailment, so to speak, but like those other challenges, it can have some physical manifestations. But tell me what you meant by your question and how how do you answer your question? Well, I have felt helpless, but that wasn't because help wasn't available. Sure. Because I didn't know the language of asking for the type of help I needed. I didn't know, didn't know my own self enough to know what it was I was stuck on or hurting over or dealing with. So the kind of help that I need is unavailable uh, from myself. I'm in the midst of what it is I'm experiencing and I'm doing the best I can with it. And I feel like I'm not doing well with it. That's my feeling of helpless. Like no matter how hard I am trying, I'm not getting. You don't see a path out. I don't see the kind of even results that look like there might be a path out. Like as soon as I take a step, I get schwacked. As soon as I do this, I get schwacked. As soon as I try that, I get told no. As soon as. So whatever it is I'm attempting to deal with or express or share or somehow get it outside my two ears. From within my two, that's headspace, so to speak. Right. Um, I end up looking for people who will uh, agree with me because I don't want to have to fight to express myself. So I get into a pattern that I talk to people who go, yeah, I feel that way too. Yeah, I've done that too. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Now, they're not out of what it is I'm talking about. They're in the same helpless place I am. So where I'm looking for help is from people who are also feeling helpless. Now I have a gaggle of helplessnesses. Yeah. And we amplify in magnitude the problem because we're living in our helplessness. And part of the reason why I stay that way is because when somebody wants to help me, I'm still stuck with the idea that, hey, it's up to me to help myself. Sure, the self-reliance that we're... It echo chambers in my own, like, what do you think I am? Weak? What do you think I am? Stupid? What do you think? I don't know what I'm doing. All the while... I realize I shouldn't be feeling this way. But but I also realize I don't know what I'm doing. That's why I'm feeling helpless. But don't you tell me I don't know what I'm doing. Well, and so many times I think we get... You know, platitudes, things will get better. Things will get better soon, right? That don't help us at all. And so we're going to come back to that a little bit um, in a few moments. But I know, you know, you talked about yourself feeling helpless. I know that when I heard the Uvalde news, I felt a deep sense of helplessness, uh, despair even. How could I do anything about that situation. You know, the thought of someone's little babies being attacked 
was beyond comprehension. But what made it worse was that I didn't feel like I could do anything to change it or to change the dynamics of guns in our country. So more and more, the people that I talk to are struggling with a similar feeling of, of helplessness. Like you say, it it becomes a magnification and amplitude of what you know I'm feeling. And it's not to say that any of us have given up. It's that we have a momentary feeling that we can't control the outcome. And so there's this feeling of powerlessness and that we have to f- we have to accept something that we find reprehensible. I think there are and we may have we'll come back to this at some point, but I think we made a little bit of a mistake in our happiness episode in not not necessarily acknowledging the need to have some basic stuff met before you can be happy. And we've got some listener feedback to that. And we'll we'll address that somewhere else. So I want to say up front, there are different levels of helplessness. You know, there have been times in my life where very early in my life where it felt like I could never get ahead, that something was always knocking me back down and completely different feeling of helplessness to what I feel today. That was a sense that there was no hope. Today, when I feel helpless, I still feel hope. And so I think we need to acknowledge that there are different levels and there's, you know, we talk about privilege all the time, but there's different levels of privilege that go along with some of this. And it is perhaps easier with privilege to ignore things that help that make us feel helpless. And not that we should do that, but it's easier sometimes to do that. So helplessness and hope and happiness are all linked together. So I wanted to try to provide some ways today for people to deal with feeling helpless. Let me stop there and ask you, is what I said valid to you? Do you feel that that's true about the different levels of helplessness and privilege? I believe that that's how you feel. But do I agree with you? Do you need me to agree with no, you? No, I don't need you to. I just want to give you a venue to share how you feel. Oh, thank you. Because I didn't want to interrupt. I really didn't mm-hmm. want to hear you out. Thank you. And because, well, because I want to get to know you. You've never uh, talked to me about this uh, feeling before of the difference between happiness and helplessness and and hopelessness and how it's related to you and where you are right now with it. My my experience uh, with my feeling about, let's say, injustices or unfairness or... uh, inequality, the things that you were listing earlier, my feelings about them are really, really intense. But my ability to do anything about them is very um, local. Like I have to act in a way 
that even though I feel globally about these things, I have to act in my choices in a kind way, in a loving way, in a, in a way that reflects more of my understandings of what's important than my pounding of issues. Right. So your way of dealing with it is to understand the understand and accept the limitations but to still do something about it through your actions even if you feel like your actions only have some local impact at least you're doing something constantly doing something in the direction of caring so I don't know if they're large or small because I'm not the I'm not the recipient. I am just the I know I am not attempting to make things worse. So as much as I can possibly uh, be aware of when I'm interacting with you, it is never with the idea of taking something from you or putting you in a position where you feel less than I want to respect you, appreciate you, get to know you. And, and even if I disagree with you, listen to you fully. And then as if given an opportunity, as you just have given to me, just talk about the fact that circumstances and my serenity, when I link them, I suffer. So when I, so explore that with me a little bit, because I want to, it's something that I want to make sure listeners understand what you're saying. All right, my peace of heart, my understanding of my place in the world exists outside of my circumstances. I could be very hungry. I could be very thirsty. I could be falsely imprisoned. I could be a lot of things. Maybe, maybe wrong place, wrong time in, this, in that sense, like no harm, no foul. I'm not talking about being persecuted, but I'm just talking about that's just how it went down. Now, I can suffer saying that's not fair, that's not right, that's not this, that's not that, whatever I want to tell myself. Or I can say, whew, how do I stay accepting and peaceful, even though these circumstances are like almost like I could never ever, ever have seen this coming. But I'm still alive and I'm still processing what's happening. Let me do so in ways that I have learned I should process the unexpected. I should process the uncertain. I should process physical discomfort. There are ways of doing it that don't involve suffering. Yes, thirst is thirst. But if I'm thinking, I just need water, I just need water, I just need water, that's suffering. If I say, yeah, I'm going to die if I don't get water. I don't have to focus on water, 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 because then I suffer. But if I go, I'm looking for water. And if I don't find it, okay, I don't find it. But what do I need in order to try to find? I can be peaceful about that. I'm in a place where I don't know what's happening. How do I stay okay with not knowing what's happening? So it's interesting that you talk about it in in that way because there is some research that I think backs up kind of your approach to it. And I thought for our listeners' sake, it would 
be interesting to give a little bit of background on the topic of learned helplessness, because there is this research that is interesting, if ridiculously unethical. <laughs> so uh, just know that going in. I, I don't support this the way this research was done. There's a guy by the name of Martin Seligman who did some tests with dogs back in the 60s. Of course, it was the 60s, right? <laughs> anyway, he first did some Pavlovian training with a bell and electric shock until the dogs were conditioned to expect a shock when they heard the bell. And then later, he made this big box with a low fence kind of dividing it in half. And one half on one side of the low fence was electrified. The other side was not. And the dogs could easily jump over this fence. So Seligman predicted that if a dog was placed on the electrified section, it would simply jump to safety. But what happened is when he used dogs from the earlier experiment as test subjects, nearly all of them didn't move. They just laid down on the electrified section that they were placed on. So then he brings in this new set of dogs because he hasn't shocked enough animals yet and found dogs who had not experienced the first shocks would always jump over the fence. He concluded that the original set of dogs had learned to be helpless. They had no control in the first half of the experiment, so they assumed they would never have control. And they believed there was nothing they could do to avoid the shock, even when there was a clear option that they could take to do that. So a terrible experiment, kind of an interesting conclusion. Learned helplessness has been observed in people too. And if bad things constantly happen outside of your control, you're liable to start thinking that you can never prevent them from happening. So whether this is, whether we're talking about, I don't know, an abusive relationship or, you know, something that I mentioned earlier, just a string of events that make you feel like you can never get ahead in life, uh, you know, that something's always knocking you back. Well, interestingly, Seligman did finally get those first batch of conditioned dogs to jump over the fence. He tried a bunch of things to decondition them. The only thing that actually worked was physically moving their legs for them and showing them that they could get over the fence and wouldn't feel a shock on the other side. And he had to do it a couple of times, but eventually the dogs would jump on their own. And so his conclusion was that when someone's depressed or suffering, saying just saying things will get better doesn't do any good. So it's better to physically show the person that their suffering isn't global and that they can still find happiness in other parts of their life. He came up with, and it's done through Penn, um, University of Pennsylvania, this whole theory called PERMA, which is an acronym. Uh, and I'll go into this later, but essentially it is five parts of life where if you are helpless, feeling helpless uh, in one area, you don't necessarily, it doesn't necessarily mean that you're going to feel helpless through everything. You can build Correct. up some 
sense of control in some of these other four areas or two areas that will get you out of this feeling of, of helplessness. So the reason I, I bring this up first, you know, I do believe that there, I do believe in a concept of learned helplessness uh, because I've seen it in, in people. I also believe that what you were saying about separating the condition from your sense of who you are or your place in the universe. Oh, my circumstances of, from my yeah. serenity or my sense of self. Yeah, has a lot of merit. And in fact, some of some later research that that was done, a longitudinal study that went on uh, over decades with young children actually showed that if you can teach them, and I think the phrase they used was explanatory feelings or explain something around explanatory, but essentially what you're teaching them is how to frame what's happening in a way that they can act on or in a way that they have control. So for example, in uh, a lot of these studies were done with lower socioeconomic children uh, and their mothers who were working two or three jobs. And, uh, you know, one example that, I, that sticks in my head was a child who felt depressed because their mother was always tired and down. And, you know, one of the things that they helped this child with was rather than than saying, I make my mother sad, putting it in, my mother works a lot and she is tired when she comes home. And, you know, what can I do so that when she comes home, you know, she doesn't have more work to do, et cetera. So something that will kind of flip the script a little bit and have them thinking in a way that it's not something that they can't control or do anything about. It's something where they have some agency. In a very uh, layman way of looking at that is what gets flipped is rather than feeling like I'm missing something, like I'm lacking my mother's attention or her enthusiasm. Or that you're causing it, right. Or or that I'm the cause of it. What I've been asked to do is uh, consider that I might have agency in the direction of contributing, not looking for what I can take from the situation, but what might I be able to bring yeah. Yeah. into the situation, which is the same way I've talked about constantly. Where is the love in this moment? What can I do? So when I give people the agency, there's always, in any moment I'm in, a way to show I care. There is always a way of demonstrating I care about my environment. I care about the plant. I care about myself. I care about you. I care about... Mother, yes. I care. I live caring. Not because I'm good, but because I admit. I care a lot. And as I do care, I still have limits, not on my caring, but on what 
I can do in the moment with that caring. And that's the only moment I can act on. So if I care all the time about lots of things all the time, but I can only act in this moment, I really want to pay attention to this moment because you're the place I can show you how much I care. And if you're the only witness to my caring in this whole world today, you will bear witness that I came here and cared. I'll take that as a memory of me. You cared a lot. No, it's it's very interesting that you see that agency and you turn it, you find a way to turn it back to love and caring about other people. Along with myself, because I feel better when I acknowledge, oh, you're tired or you're stuck on something. I feel better when I say, I can see that you're hurting or I can see what can I do for you? What do you need? Can I get you a glass of water? I mean, it's not, I don't want to solve your life. <laughs> I want to be in this moment in a warm and loving way. I'm not going to fix you. You're not broken. You're just thirsty or tired or whatever. Well, it's, the, it's also the difference between that platitude, oh, things will get better, or actually doing something to make somebody feel, even if it is just a glass of water, to make them feel like, hey, somebody cares about me. They're not just saying something so they don't have to listen to my hardships anymore. That's one way of... You know, again, processing that same experience. Uh, there are two Somebody's getting a glass of water and somebody's offering a glass of water. The person getting the glass of water went, oh, you got me a glass of water. Maybe I can get him to get me a salad. <laughs> Do you know what I'm saying? <laughs> it really mindsets all. It, I don't know what's going on. Yeah, there. You, yeah you're right. But I, I know that it's a relationship is always a two way dynamic. And I can't presume that. My offering you a glass of water is received with great uh, gratitude. It may yeah. be interpreted in lots of different ways, like, oh, you have a well. Yeah. Oh, you have a glass. Yeah. My water oh. was shut off last week. I yeah. Yeah. Oh, you think you're better than me just because you're not thirsty. Oh, no. Okay. Look, guilty in every way you want to come at me. Do you, do you want a glass of water? <laughs> Whatever comes along with that, I'll take it. Go ahead. Tell me what you want to tell me. But you please don't need, have a drink. You don't, yeah. You don't need gratitude. You don't need. I, I'm not asking for right. any of that. I'm just asking. Just lovingly give. Thirsty. Yeah. This looks like it might help. If it doesn't, please don't take offense. Oh. <laughs> I mean, if you do. I, I'm not going to take offense back. I'm just going to say, oh, none was intended. Sorry. <laughs> okay. I didn't create that problem. <laughs> I just thought you were thirsty. <laughs> so, Charles, the uh, five areas that I mentioned, this acronym PERMA, uh, and it's I do think there's some value in this because – uh, these areas are things, and we've talked about some of them already, where you can get some sense of support or togetherness or, or whatever. So I'm just real quickly, I think there's some value in, in sharing them. So the, the P in IRMA stands for 
positive emotion. And this is just the idea that we can cultivate some gratitude, have some forgiveness, savor some of the physical goodness in life. Uh, So that's kind of all wrapped up in positive emotion. It is interesting because in his work, uh, Seligman talks about this being one of those areas that is partly genetic or inheritable, kind of how you frame things. You know, do you frame them in a positive manner or do you frame them in a more negative manner? Pardon my confusion. Sure. He thinks there might be a genetic basis for that? He thinks that part of it is innate. Some of it is certainly learned, but some of it is innate, yes. All right. I'm not asking you to be an authority on him. No, no, I'm no. just asking to see if I at least understand. Yes. That. Okay. No, you, yeah, you, Thanks. you heard that correctly. Okay. Uh, the E in PERMA stands for engagement and engagement is. Uh, I've been married what, before. I know. <laughs> <laughs> no, this is actually a. Uh, engagement in some kind of a challenging task. So he talks, and we, in sports, you frequently hear about flow state and be, and his talk, when he talks about it, it isn't um, necessarily the accomplishment of beating someone else. It's not that. It's gaining some mastery uh, or being involved in some something that challenges you a little bit and you may even look forward to, right? Mm. Uh, The R is relationships. And we've talked about this a lot and the connections to other people. And then the M is meaning, uh, which is kind of your purpose in life. You do believe that there is that you belong to something bigger than yourself or, you know, there's a purpose for you being here. And then A is accomplishment. And this is similar to engagement, but this is actually achieving some competence or mastery of something. It could be a hobby. It could be, you know, a sport or a skill. Uh, And again, it's the focus is not on the outcome. The focus is on getting better at something and and feeling it, so, like I said, it kind of goes hand in hand with engagement because you're actively pursuing something. So, these five things he believes, and and I think um, Penn has a whole program of kind of cognitive therapy around building up some of these things. He believes that if you are feeling helpless in one area, so let's say, for example, in relationships, you had a divorce or you had, uh, you know, you've never found the special someone. If you can build up some of these other areas, it can help overcome that sense of helplessness in, in that one area. By the same measure, there are people who don't need relationships to feel whole. There are some people that just prefer to be by themselves. 
And they can be okay with that because they have a skill that they're really good at and, uh, you know, something that they're mastering or, or because um, they have a very positive disposition and outlook on life. They interpret things in a much more positive frame, et cetera. So what was interesting to me is that we have frequently talked about some of these elements, not all of them. Certainly, I don't really remember us talking about that engagement necessarily, but we have talked about some of these things before in terms of helping people through periods of depression and, you know, even in, around imposter syndrome. We've talked about looking back on your mastery in other areas of your life to understand that if somebody cuts you down at work, don't you don't have to accept that because you have been successful at other things at other times in your life. So I do think there's some value to some of this. That's a whole long way of getting back to for you and some of the people that you have helped over the years. What are some of the the ways that you get them to maybe feel a little bit of hope again or understand that their circumstances aren't as as bleak. <laughs> I if their circumstances are bleak, I ask them to tell me how bleak they are. I don't tell them that they're not bleak. I just ask them what is bleak about it to them. And as we start to talk about it, I'll ask more really open-ended and very uh, detailed questions about bleakness or what it is they're describing. And with their own conversation coming out, Cap, what happens is I can get a summation of what it is they're really grappling with. They'll give me bits and pieces of what they think it is, and those bits and pieces help. Because I don't know exactly how they've come to see it so bleak. But that's their summation. That's their conclusion. And based on certain ingredients, they've made that conclusion. So I ask them about the ingredients that constitutes their conclusion of bleakness. In doing so, I'm learning about them. In doing so, they're articulating to another human being something they've never perhaps articulated so at length about. They just are saying, I feel like crap. Mm -hmm. Or I just can't, you know, I hate my job or I hate my, I hate my kids or I, you know, whatever it is. And I just can't do anything about it. Everything is so hopeless. I feel so helpless. So that's a bleak moment. That's a bleak overall feeling. And it doesn't matter what brings me to that bleak. It could be a national crisis or it could be a personal crisis, but bleak is bleak. So I've dealt with people at bleak moments for many, many decades. I've done through my own bleak moments. So Charlie, I'm, I'm fascinated by this because, you know, one of the things that we hoped when we started this podcast was if we can get people to start having some real conversations with others, then 
somebody doing that to somebody else can help them. And that helpness can that helpfulness can spread. And that person can eventually say, hey, I was helped by a conversation. Maybe if I reach out and talk to someone else, I can help them. So I'm really interested in how you get into this conversation and some of those. And I know it's it varies depending on yeah what the situation is but this is what what i what i sense is not uh intellectual what i sense when i'm meeting someone is uh everything about them their eye contact their body language their tone of voice their cadence what they ask about what they pick up on what they don't pick up on i'm getting a sense of who you are even as you're not really even doing much and that's okay. I'm not assessing you or profiling you. I'm just like, oh, there you are. You're in front of me. <clears throat> and I do care about you, even though I've just not, I maybe not even said two words to you yet. Yeah. That doesn't matter to me. There you are. I'm glad you're here. We're not here by accident. I didn't do this. You didn't do this. But here we are. So what would we like to do? The very first thing I'd like to let you know is I'd like to get to know you. And... I can sense that by, and you can sense that because I'm paying attention to you. In addition to everything else that's going on, you can still make eye contact with me. And we kind of like look each other and you don't see any threat. You don't see any judgment. You don't see anything from me except, yeah, I see you. I see you over there. You want to talk? We can talk. If you want to go back and forth, we can go back and forth, whatever you like. So in that moment, I am already creating an atmosphere that isn't bleak. I may not know what it is. You may not know what it is, but I know it's not hostile. I know it's not going to be combat. And you sense that as well. This is not going to be a fight. Now, this guy may be a pushover. This guy may be this. This guy may be that. All right. So I, I, I'm sorry. I have to Go interrupt ahead. you because my sense is that people are very guarded, particularly mm. in this divisive atmosphere mm -hmm. that exists in our country right now. People mm -hmm. are very guarded. And so you say that they'll sense that you don't mean them harm. But, you know, what I sometimes I will try to have just a conversation. I'm not necessarily even trying to delve into why they're feeling helplessness. I'm just trying to have a conversation with them. Maybe it's something I'm giving off, but they I can sense how guarded they are. Mm -hmm. So how do you get past that barrier? Well, the way I do it is by letting my guard down first. When I let my guard down, that means that I lead with something personal and honest and vulnerable to you. Like, like what? Give, give our listeners an example. I'm really upset about all the shooting stuff. And I don't know what to do about it. I know I'm not the only one and I don't know, have any idea of how you feel about it because I don't want to argue, but I would like to talk and get to know you a little bit if you want to talk about this, because most people don't want to talk about it. So I just lay it out there first. I don't know how you feel. This is how I feel. And I don't know if you want to talk about it. And that's within the first like three or four moments of us. Yeah. Uh, it's like, I don't want to talk about sports. I don't want to talk about the weather unless we're standing in line sweating together. I don't want to, you know, chit chat. 
I'm too old for chit chat. I just want to look at you. And if, and if you have a smile and if you, our eyes meet and there's warmth there, then we just start talking. We'll talk about whatever comes up. Could be even like, what's up? And I'm not trying, you know, to be colloquial or anything. I'm right. just saying, yeah. like, how are you doing? Or what's going on? How's your day? You know, whatever it is, but you know that I mean it because I'm giving you my undivided attention. I didn't just go, hey, how are you? And then just walk on by. Like, I don't expect you to answer. I don't, I don't think you really care. I mean, or that you think I care. But when I do care, I get mostly caring responses back. Yeah. You know, I have been thinking about podcast episodes. And I've told you for a while now that I want to do a podcast on listening because I think you're such an awesome listener. And it struck me the other day as I'm thinking about this as a potential topic for a podcast, all of the, and I won't say that, you know, I have listened to hours and hours and hours of information about listening. But over the course of my career, you know, there's been some very intentional work done to improve listening skills and coaching with with folks that work with me. And I can honestly say I don't remember a single time where one of the pieces of advice for how to be a better listener was to care. But that, you know, after spending as much time with you as I have, I realized that that is the most important listening skill is to start from a place of caring. Then you want to hear what they have to say. All right. So Charles, I want to just finish up the conversation today uh, I had five suggestions for people who are feeling helpless, and we've talked about a little bit of this already, but uh, I'd like you to to weigh in on some of these. So the first one is to understand and recognize the impact of trauma. And what I mean by this is with access to news on every device and wherever we go, we're assaulted by trauma. Uh, I was, as I wrote that the other day, getting ready for this podcast, I had this image of my mind of my grandma who was born in 1896. And I realized that when my grandma was growing up, she'd only occasionally hear about something bad that happened in her town. That was it, right? That was all... Today, we hear bad news from every town in the entire world, and we have not figured out how to deal with that amount of daily trauma. So my point is that if we're going to be somewhat informed and listen to news a little bit every day, we have to understand that we can't solve every problem and wanting to will only lead you into helplessness. So my standpoint is I am suggesting that you're informed, but pick and choose what news you consume and when you consume it. And I think, Charlie, to your point earlier, when you have a conversation with somebody, you're not necessarily trying to fix their problem, 
whatever it is that they're feeling helpless about. You're trying to let them know that somebody in the world cares for them, right? There's, there, you, you understand that it's important to act locally and sometimes with your next door neighbor, right? Because you can't fix something that's happening on the other side of the world. The place I can do anything about it is right with the person. Yeah. So I'll tell you, I'll tell you something that you're going to find ridiculous. I know you're going to find this ridiculous, but <laughs> I, uh, glad I know <laughs> I, I used to, one of the last things I would do at night was I would get in bed and oh, I need to know this. <laughs> <laughs> and I would open up my iPad and I'd go through oh. news before I Good. And some of it was sports, some of it was politics, some of it was other stuff. And I just realized that that wasn't helping me at all. And so now what I do, if I pick up my iPad at all, I go to this, uh, I go to Reddit and there's this subreddit that is called Awe. And it's dogs, puppies, goats. (laughs) everything and i look at it before because that leaves me with some kind of positive feeling before i'm trying to get to sleep Mm. Uh, that's awesome um the second suggestion is to just to be aware of what triggers your sense of of helplessness if you are feeling like you're never going to crawl out of a mountain of debt, then don't do online shopping. If you, if reading about gun violence triggers you, as it often does me, then either avoid that news or do something that makes you feel like you're part of the solution. But the the key here is to be aware of those triggers. What is it that makes you feel helpless or hopeless, uh, and then figure out what you can do to to the extent that you can. And again, we realize that there are people in circumstances that can't always ignore some of those things. It's not always as easy as just putting your iPad down, but be aware of the things that make you feel worse in those situations. Anything to add there? No. Okay. No. Third, wallow in goodness. And this is something, Charlie, that I actually came up with because of you. What I mean by wallow in goodness is that sometimes when we get into this cycle of despair, we beat ourselves up even more for getting into that rut again. And so do yourself a favor and don't entertain negative self-talk. I learned a technique through meditation where I tell myself, cancel, cancel whenever I have a, whenever I start beating myself up uh, or I, you know, tell myself that what I just did was really stupid. I have worked on this technique where I just say cancel, cancel to kind of reset my brain a little bit and understand that that talk isn't helping me. But, and this is where I thought of you, Charlie, is the other way to wallow in goodness is when someone compliments you. Don't dismiss it, revel in it, accept it with gratitude and allow yourself the the pat on the back. And you taught me that you often tell me just 
accept it. Just accept it when you say something kind to me. I, I appreciate that because that is true. The word wallow, however. <laughs> <laughs> you don't like the word wallow? <laughs> it sounds like I can't swim, first of all. But the other thing is like the goodness is always ongoing. So there's no wallowing in the goodness as I'm continuing to flow with it. So I don't want to think that my goodness, oh, I had a good moment. Let me wallow in the moment of goodness. The goodness is continuous. Let me appreciate and accept that the goodness flows with me. And I don't have to wallow just because I had a good <laughs> moment. <laughs> All right. Fair enough. Fair enough. That's just me. <laughs> no, no. All right. Uh, number four, focus on others. So the best way that for me that has has helped to get out of this feeling of helplessness from time to time is to help someone else. So whether that's volunteering or talking to a friend who has problems or uh, lending a hand to a neighbor or buying an extra meal for a homeless person. By helping other people, we start to rise above uh, some of our own problems and in some ways understand that everybody has some of the same issues that we're going through. And then fifth, use an external connection to stabilize. And what I mean by this is I do believe, and I'd love to hear your thoughts on this, Charlie, but I do believe it's important to work on building your grit and your coping skills uh, in life. And so for some people, that external connection to help them stabilize might be through prayer. Um, for others, it may be through a mentor or through meditation or even a favorite book series where the uh, protagonist overcomes some hardships. Rather than praying or meditating for the pain to end, pray or meditate for the skills or strength to help you through it. Try to build up some of those coping skills to help you see that you do have some agency in some of this. I do, Charlie, I do think that there is this important distinction where just acknowledging that you can learn skills to get out of a negative cycle can be the difference for some between hope and helplessness. Oh, there's no doubt about that. My the thought that came to me as you were speaking uh, on the last point was I have come to accept that we're always learning. So every situation is an opportunity for me to ask myself that reflective question. What am I learning here? Okay. If I'm not learning anything here, I'll ask myself a secondary question. What am I repeating here? Interesting. Okay. If I'm repeating something, I'm asking myself, I must like it or do I not like it? So I get into a whole other realm of, hmm, that's my agency. That's where I have agency. I start to realize I'm making choices, choice after choice after choice, but I'm making them so quickly that I'm not paying attention 
to the fact that all of my choices leave me feeling helpless. I need some outside input. Something has to love me enough to see that I'm stuck. And I need some outside input that says, hey, listen, I've been stuck like that before. If you move your hand just a little bit like that, it'll slide right out of there. And you try it and it slides right out and you go, "Ooh, that was like magic. And you go, I know. Until I, until somebody showed me how to do that, I was stuck there for a long time too. And then you look at me like, well, that was awfully nice of you. And I say, I'm just paying it forward. And I say, all I'll do is say, if you find somebody else who's stuck, just pay it forward. And that's what we call being the good Samaritan. Now, when I realized I was stuck in so many places in my life and people were helping me all the time get unstuck. I realized the same thing, that I'm, I'm walking amongst people who are stuck on things all the time. So I'm not a fixer. I'm just somebody who cares. And who do I care about? It's the person who's in front of me who probably is stuck on something that I've been stuck on too. So since there are no coincidences, I ask questions and kind of feel out where they might be struggling or where, even if they tell me that they're happy, I want to share in their joy. Not everybody's a miserable SOB. A lot of people right now are somewhere in between and not feeling that they deserve to be happy or should be sad all the time either. So there's this ugh that we're living in right now. I, I mean, I, if I do anything, I just clear up some of the ick. <laughs> That's not a heavy skill set. Trust me. <laughs> that was awesome. I loved that. And I would love to, um, I have to write this down because I'd love to have a podcast to talk about something you just slipped in there, which was there are no coincidences. I don't, I don't agree with that, but I would love for us to have a conversation about that in the future. And then I just, I, and I'll end it on this, Charlie, as you began that, and uh, you're going to hear this back because you're going to have to listen to it before we post it. But I want you to be aware of how much what you were talking about at the beginning of your answer there sounded a whole lot like thinking. <laughs> He's giving me the evil eye. <laughs> There's no evil eye. <laughs> All right. We're going to stop it there, Charlie. Thank you very much for the conversation today. Uh, 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 no, uh, oh, we're not stopping it there. He does not get last word with that. <laughs> he's, he's gloating. And I, I'm not gloating. I just have to say, listen, when you've asked me to explain something, I have to use thinking terms. I understand. And we've had this conversation before. I understand you've, that, too. I just want to clarify okay. that. I have nothing against thinking when it helps me to express experiences and understandings. I have things about thinking that can snag me and make me think that my thinking is more uh, real or important than it is in my life. My thinking does not run my life. Every time I run my life by my thinking, I crash. So I'm running my life on love now. Okay, uh, say it for what it is. I just love life. Okay. So I feel my way 
through life. And my thinking will help me in doing that. It gets me to places on time. It helps me change my oil. I can fix lawnmowers. I can do lots of practical things in life that my thinking comes in handy for. But when it comes to understanding another human being or myself, my thinking like takes me so far and it's not very far. And I have to just say, all right, you stay here. I'll be right back. And I go into other areas of myself, my feelings, my memories, my hopes, my fears, my prayers. I go into other areas of my experience as a human being that my mind wants to explain to me as soon as I go there. Oh, I know what that is. I know what that means. I know what you can do with that. I mean, it's constantly <laughs> chirping at me. And my other realms have to go, hey, 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 settle down, settle down, settle down. You'll have your say, just not right now. Forming that type of relationship with my thinking facet is really, really hard. Understood. Understood. You know, I had a, um, I used to have a dog who always had to have the last word too. I'm going to start calling you Kobe. <laughs> well played. <laughs> All right. That's our episode for the week. So if you learned anything, I hope it's this. Hey, dude, don't make it bad. Take a sad song and make it better. Remember to take love into your heart. Then you can start and make it better. If this podcast made you feel better, then pull out your phone and rate, follow or subscribe, and review The Thinking Knot. You can find more of Charles's writings on his blog at owningourselves.com and more of my work at liveforwonder.com. Thanks for listening. We hope your journey is filled with wonder and that you are the walrus. Cuckoo, cachoo. Be good to each other. <laughs>